Well, good morning. Um, I think I'll be squinting half this time, but I'm really grateful that the, the day is as beautiful as it is. I'm not sure whether it's actually better for once to be in the sun or the shade. Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, before we continue looking at this passage, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, it is such a privilege, such an amazing privilege that I think we barely understand that we have a chance to listen to you speak to us. And yet you do in your word, and especially in this morning as we are looking at your word as it explicitly speaks of Jesus, and as he begins to do his work in this world, our desire, Lord, is to see him more clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn what it means, um, what it means to follow him, what it means to be his apprentices, that we might be the people you call us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, I think I'd like to introduce, kind of begin by just saying, uh, here's how I think Christianity can be best summarized. If, if you are a Christian, or, or maybe, maybe this morning even you are someone who's thinking about being a Christian, here's what I think it actually is. To be a Christian is to be an apprentice of Jesus. A Christian is an apprentice of Jesus. If we were to skip way to the very end of Matthew, where Jesus kind of sends his apostles out on the mission, he tells them not, go and spread the information about me, although that's desirable. He doesn't just say, go and make believers, although that's important as well. When Jesus goes throughout the area, he says, go and make disciples. And disciples are, well, they're not just about passively learning. Um, when Jesus says make disciples, he explicitly says teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And then later on, or sorry, earlier on when his disciples are starting to follow Jesus, Jesus starts immediately putting them to work and explaining this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. So if in our mind that word disciples is this passive just kind of listening, that's not actually what a disciple is. Which is why I actually think perhaps a better translation for us when we are thinking about this word disciples is apprentice. Because that's what Jesus is calling. He is calling apprentices, people who are immediately to do hands-on work, to, to learn from him. And this year, my desire for us is simply just to drill down in this specific focus and consider together how we can be better apprentices of Jesus. H how do we learn from him the way we're supposed to? How can we take those steps of practical action that he calls us to as we're seeking to grow in this apprenticeship as Jesus seeks to form us? And that's why we're looking at Matthew. Um, Matthew, in many ways, is simply a, a, an apprenticeship manual. He, he, we, as we will see, the whole book is geared towards helping people know what it looks like to be an apprentice of Jesus. Last week was when we began our series looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And if you were here, you might remember that we were looking at John the Baptist and, and thinking of how John the Baptist is given to prepare us for this apprenticeship. In some ways, he's the plow to kind of dig up the soil to make us ready to hear and, and ready. Here, this Sunday, we see Jesus more explicitly stepping onto the scene. And we see him calling 
apprentices. This is where the apprenticeship begins. I don't know if you noticed, but as Anne read, right in the very middle in verses 19 to 23, we see Jesus coming and calling people to follow him. And at that moment, the apprenticeship began. And Matthew is wanting to help us to understand this. In fact, if we notice in our passage, he, he kind of frames this because the question might be, what, what is an apprentice? I mean, any apprentice is an apprentice to learn a specific task. Maybe it's a plumber or maybe it's some sort of trade. So what is the thing that when Jesus is forming apprentices, he is seeking to impart for that knowledge? What task is it? And, and Matthew frames this calling of apprentices on both sides so that we can know exactly what Jesus is all about. So perhaps you noticed in verses, you know, the 12 through 17, you have at the very end of that, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then right after Jesus calls his first apprentices, what's the very next thing that we see in verse 23? It says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So on either side, we see what Jesus' mission, his work is about. He is declaring the kingdom of heaven. His work is kingdom work. He is trying to establish this kingdom of heaven that we began speaking about last week. And it's right in this context that then he calls these four men to join with him in this kingdom work. It says that he is now living in Capernaum. This is this kind of lake village mostly a town of fishermen, and, and we see that here. Jesus has already been at Capernaum for a while. The previous verses tell us he's already been preaching about the kingdom. So these four men, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they have already, they've been hearing him speak for a little while. They have seen some of his miracles. We know from other gospels he's actually had meals with them. He's had conversations with them. But now, in the passage that we're looking at, that relationship changes. He, he walks to them, and he gives them a very simple command. Follow me. Follow me, and, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. It's simple to say, but it is an extraordinarily significant command when you think about it. Until this moment, these four men have been able to set their own schedule. They know when they want to go fishing or when they don't. They're able to live lives relatively independently. And now Jesus is saying, that has come to an end if you follow me. You will now have to do what I do. You will have to follow my instructions. You are no longer free to do whatever you want. Follow me. Until this point, their identity has been as fishermen. That is what they do almost every day of their lives. They know their trade. And Jesus says, you need to leave your nets. Leave this cause that you have been so focused on and follow me. And more than that, you notice at the very end when it talks about this following, it says immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. It's not just to leave your trade. You need to leave your family. The, the, the home from which you gain your identity and follow me. That's what it means to be my apprentice, Jesus is saying. And extraordinarily, we see these four men in this moment. It says, immediately, almost without a thought, they drop their nets. They leave their boats. They leave their livelihood and their family and they follow Jesus because they understand perhaps only in the dimmest way that whatever Jesus is calling them to is greater than what he is calling them from. 
They understand from his message that he is offering something greater in a kingdom. And and I want to tell you that this is at the very heart of what discipleship, how it begins. It is to leave our own independence. It is to leave whatever work or cause gave us our identity. It is to even leave to some degree our, our previous community and follow Jesus and allow Jesus to give us his kingship, his community, and his cause. I, I spoke last week of how the kingdom of heaven is so significant in Matthew. In fact, I suspect we'll be touching on it pretty much every week as we're looking through this all year. It's that important. And, and last week we began to define it by simply saying that the kingdom of heaven is about God's promise being fulfilled. And, and we see that actually here at the very beginning of our passage. Did you notice that as it speaks of Jesus going to Capernaum, Matthew highlights for us, and this is a fulfillment it's a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. And, and he quotes the beginning, even though in his mind he's speaking of the whole thing, but he's not going to quote the whole thing. He just quotes the first couple of verses, speaking of how in Galilee the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The promise is being fulfilled. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven here. And as we were, if we were to trace Isaiah, uh, the following verses, we would, we would see what this kingdom is speaking about. That in this kingdom we see... Well, first we see a king. It's, it says this great light is a king. Remember these verses that we said at the very beginning of the, of the service. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. There is this promise here with the kingdom of heaven of a great king. And we know Matthew is telling us that that king is Jesus. But as we continue in Isaiah 9, we realize that this kingdom of heaven is not only talking about a king. It's also speaking of a community. Because it says Jesus will reign over a kingdom. His government will expand. There will be a people. When Jesus comes, he comes to establish a new society. When I was uh, a kid, uh, this is now in the 80s, um, I used to watch a show called Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. Does anyone remember that? It, it wasn't that great of a show. Um, but the story was basically where you have Michael Landon, who is this angel, and this other person that he's befriended going from town to town because God was directing them and finding someone who has some problem with their lives and they go and they help them fix that problem and life gets better and they leave. And I, I think sometimes when we think of Jesus, that's what we think of. We think that Jesus comes to individuals, he sees their problem, he heals them, boom, they're done, he goes on to the next person. But that's not actually what Isaiah, what the Bible tells us. Jesus is creating a community He's not just focusing on individuals. He's gathering people together so that there's now right relationships with each other, so that there's now righteousness and peace and reconciliation. He is building a community that also is promised in the kingdom. And then if we were to continue tracing Isaiah, we would see that not only do we see that it's about a king, and not only is it about a community, but we also see in these verses promised a cause. That is, as this king works in this community, it says, he will establish righteousness and justice and peace. 
Where there is brokenness, he will bring healing. It says he will bring about the reign of God until the earth is filled with the knowledge of God. That is a cause. This kingdom will continue to be at work. That's why when you get Jesus after he calls the disciples, what does it tell us that he's doing? It, not only does he speak about the kingdom, but he, he performs these miracles. It says he heals whoever comes with sickness, whoever has demon possession. He, he casts out the demons. And the reason he's doing that is not just to get people's attention. It's to show them this is what I'm about. I am making what is broken right. I am undoing what evil has done. I am filling the world with God's rule until on earth God's will is done in the same way that it is done in heaven. That is my mission. That is the cause. The kingdom of heaven, if we want to understand it rightly, is about a king, it's about a community, and it's about a cause. This is why when Jesus calls the disciples, we see them having to leave their own personal autonomy, their own community, and their own cause because they have to let those go so they can take hold of what Christ has for them in the kingdom of heaven. And I want to tell you that if you want to understand what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, this is it. It is to surrender those things so that you might take hold of Jesus as your king take hold of the heavenly community as your primary community, and so that his cause, the cause of his kingdom, becomes your cause. And it only works when all three are true. So let me just tease that out. Let's, let's think for a moment what happens when any of those three are removed. What happens when you have people who are seeking the community of the kingdom, and, and even the cause of the kingdom, but not the king. Well, I would suggest to you that actually, if you think about seeking what the kingdom's cause is, well, that's what's happening right now in our world. I don't think we talk about this enough. That is, that when people are crying out for the things they're crying out for, when people are crying out for justice and for care for the oppressed, when they're calling out for protection against those who have been abused, they are actually calling for distinctly Christian things. That might seem like a strange thing to say, but where, where does our culture get the idea that the oppressed and the vulnerable should be those that we take care of, and that it's wrong to discriminate against one particular race? Or, or where does our culture get the idea that it is wrong for sexual predators to abuse those who are not as powerful? Why do we have the Me Too movement? Here's the thing. If you look at culture apart from Christianity, if you look, for example, at ancient Rome, then Harvey Weinstein was pretty much par for the course of this is what was expected. If you were a powerful leader, you could do whatever you wanted. And that was okay. And if your race, if the Roman Empire was stronger than other races, well, that was their fault if they couldn't beat you and you could do with them and make them slaves, whatever you wanted. And that was what was considered moral. If you were strong, you got to decide what to do. So where do we get this idea that we should be caring for the weak. 
there's a historian, Tom Holland, not the Spider-Man actor, different guy, who actually himself is not a Christian, but he, he was exploring that question. He wrote this really interesting book called Dominion. His argument is whether we are secular or not in terms of how we identify ourselves, we are Christian in our instincts. Because where do you get the idea that, that there is human dignity in every single person? It's from Genesis that we're made in the image of God. Long before Karl Marx spoke about the need for justice, Isaiah was speaking of it long before. Where do we get the idea that if you are powerful, you should give yourself for the sake of the weak? It's Jesus and his leadership that we see that. It's Paul who says that there should be no status difference between whatever race there is, between, what, between male or female. These are distinctly Christian ideals. And so what I would suggest to you is that what we are seeing when we're seeing these protests calling out for racial justice, when we're seeing these protests calling out for sexual equity, we are hearing people cry out for the cause of the kingdom. The very thing that the kingdom is seeking to bring about, that is what they are longing for. In fact, there's even a community that is gathered around those very ideals. The problem is people are seeking the cause of the kingdom without the king. And it doesn't work. Unless we have the king who connects us to God so that everything is rightly ordered, things get out of whack. Unless we have a king who can unify us, then there ends up being divisiveness and, and witch hunting and backbiting. Unless we have a king who shows us the way to this by laying down his life sacrificially, then we will see, and we have seen time and time again, people using the very methods of coercion and power abuse to get what they want. There is a longing for the cause of the kingdom, but without the king, it cannot happen. You need all three. Well, what happens if you have people who are seeking the king and they're seeking the cause, but, but they're not seeking community? Well, I would suggest that is actually modern Christianity to some degree. You know, it's interesting. I was reading something that was saying that every, every analysis of pretty much every institution, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about banks, doctors, politics, religion, media, all institution is not trusted by people anymore. And so when we're talking about people maybe moving away from the church, we should not misunderstand this as a move towards atheism. There doesn't seem to be a desire for a godless understanding of life. It is the move away from church. So more and more, you will hear people saying, I don't need the church to be able to have a relationship to Jesus. And I don't need the church to be able to serve the world around me. I can have the king and I can have the cause and abandon the community because the community is going to let me down. And there's a more moderate version of that where, where sometimes I think Sunday morning is just kind of seen as a top-me-up. So throughout the week, I'm kind of trying to do my thing serving Jesus. I come to Sunday and hopefully I'm not too distracted by other people so that I can have my personal worship with Jesus and feel strengthened by him. And then maybe I can escape to the car before I have to talk to anyone because we don't really want the community. We just, we just want Jesus. But that doesn't work either because it is truly impossible to listen to Jesus and to hear him faithfully and yet reject the church that he died for. 
Again, when Jesus comes proclaiming, he doesn't say, here comes the personal salvation of heaven. He is speaking of the kingdom of heaven. He, he came to bring about a community, a society. There's a time where Jesus is speaking and he's told that his, his mother and his siblings are out to talk to him and he says, you want to know who my family are? They're these people here. This is the community. This is my family. This is why when he speaks to the disciples, he, he speaks of building a church. That's his job. His goal is to bring a church. And, and when he sends out the apostles, he sends them out and they start planting churches. This is why Paul will say that if you are belonging to Christ, that means you also belong to each other. Because when Jesus came, he came to establish a kingdom, a community. And it's not just about obedience, although it is that. It's also what we need. Because no matter how individualistic we might think we are, we still are formed by whatever community gives our primary identity. We just are. We, we, we always will look to other people or other thinkers to help shape how we think. This is why when Paul in Ephesians 4, he says, when a church is working right... When people are united, when they are growing up more and more maturity in Christ Jesus, speaking truth to one another, loving one another, here's what happens. He says, then everyone is protected from any kind of false teaching, some ideas that might pull you astray, because when you're with each other, you help protect each other from the falsehood. And the implication of that is that when you are disconnected from the community, you are much more vulnerable to being shaped by things other than Christ. I was listening to an interview with a pastor by the name of Mark Sayers, who's also like a cultural analyst. And in this interview, he was talking about QAnon. I don't know if you've ever heard of QAnon. It's this really complicated conspiracy theory that has become so quickly almost a political cult, I would say, because it has its own kind of gospel. It has its own understanding of, of brokenness and what will solve everything. In fact, Sayers himself says this could be the first true internet religion. It's spread through internet, through forums, through conspiracy theory kind of discussions. And what I found especially interesting was he said a significant percentage of those people who are ascribing to QAnon are, are evangelicals. People who identify Jesus as their king and the cause of the kingdom as their cause. But he says, when they get detached from their churches, this becomes their community. In fact, he says, the last six months you have seen an explosion of interest in this because as people are detached from their communities because of COVID, this is where they go. There's discussions, there's back and forth, there's learning. And as they are being connected to this alternate community, they're being formed by it because that's how communities work. Now that seems probably like maybe an extreme example to some of us. But I would suggest that that actually is maybe just an extreme version of something that is increasingly the case, at least in our country. And that is more and more, I think, we are seeing people who are more Republican or more Democrat than they are Christian. Jesus was neither a conservative nor a progressive. He was annoying to both sides when he came because he was his own leader. He was his own king. And we should know that if we are following Jesus faithfully, then there are going to be times that no matter where we find ourselves in the political spectrum, we are going to have to disagree because that is not our primary community. Jesus is our primary community. 
And the reason that I think sometimes we're seeing people become more and more polarized in one end or in the other is because more and more their, their community, their social media, the, the cable news, whatever it is, we're being formed by people that we agree with rather than being formed by the community that God has given us. The, the point is, for us to be apprentices it doesn't work to have only the king and only the cause. There needs to be the community as well. So what about the third one of these? What happens if you seek to have Jesus as king and you seek to have his heavenly community, but you don't take on the heavenly cause? This is, I think, probably what's most common with kind of more traditional churches. What, what happens sometimes, and it can be really subtle, because you have people who gather together on Sunday mornings truly desiring to worship Christ. People who throughout the week are attentive to trying to study God's word and learn it. People who try to care deeply for the community. And yet when it comes to things like loving neighbor, to seeking mercy towards those who need it, towards pursuing justice, when it comes to seeking to bring others to Christ, well, honestly, that ends up becoming a little bit more like an afterthought or an extra, something that is important if maybe you have a calling or maybe you have a passion in that area, but something that isn't necessarily at the heart of things. And, and when that is what is the posture, what is happening is we are trying to take hold of the king and we're trying to take hold of his community, but we're not trying to, or we're not receiving his cause. And I want to suggest to you that that doesn't work either. Because the very foundation of Jesus calling this community was to send them on a cause. Think of it. When Jesus calls these apprentices, what does he say immediately? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's what we see him doing. A few chapters later, Jesus will send out his apprentices and he will send them not only to preach, but also to heal, to make right what is broken as a sign of what the kingdom is about. They are joining his cause. And in some ways, chapters five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the manifesto of the kingdom. And here's what it says. The people of the kingdom, you want to know what they're like? They are merciful, Jesus says, meaning that when they see a need, they care and they seek to do something about it. The people of the kingdom are, are peacemakers. When there is brokenness, they seek to bring reconciliation. The people of the kingdom are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They long for justice. Jesus makes this focal point explicit when he tells us, as we already prayed, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying in that moment that the world would be changed, that there would be righteousness, that there would be peace, that the world would be filled with the knowledge of God. That is what we are longing for. And then Jesus, just a chapter later, says, so therefore seek first the kingdom. That, that is the agenda. We cannot understand our community if we don't realize that its purpose is to follow Jesus in seeking the kingdom of heaven in this world. And we know that because we only need to look at Jesus himself. So, about midway through the Gospel of Matthew, 
you see some, some of Jesus' apprentices kind of jockeying for position. Actually, their mom tries to kind of help to ensure that they get kind of like the number one and number two spot next to Jesus. And as Jesus is kind of essentially shooting them down and saying, this is not the right attitude for you to have. He says, whoever wants to be great needs to be a servant. And whoever is to be first of all must be a slave to all. And then in case people weren't understanding what he was saying when he was saying whoever wants to be, whoever is first must be a slave to all, he makes it explicit that he's talking about himself when he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the King, came to be a slave to to all. He came not to have only dominion over all, but actually to bring service to all, to love all. And he does this above all by laying down his life on the cross to to bring people back to God, yes, but even more than that, to bring people back to each other as they experience God's love, to reconnect people so that the world might experience what it was meant to and it might be beautiful and good. His whole life was about bringing that about. And so if we are a community of his apprentices, can it mean anything else for us? Because to be an apprentice, to be a part of this kingdom, is to follow our king. And that means taking on his cause. We will be reflecting on Matthew for quite a while. We'll be looking more and more at all of these themes, but I just, I want to kind of close where I began. If, if this morning you are thinking about being a Christian or this morning you identify yourself as a Christian, I, I want you to hear again this, that Jesus lovingly, even right now, is saying to you, follow me. And while on one hand that might feel threatening because to follow Jesus does mean to let go, to let go of control over your own life, to let go of the community that defines you, to let go of what you have focused on, he is calling you to this because he wants to give you something better, to give you himself, to give you his family, the family of God, to give you the most meaningful cause imaginable as he seeks to bring salvation to the world. And so even right now, I'd like to invite all of us to just think, to pray, to reflect on as Jesus is calling us to this form of apprenticeship. Maybe for some of you, it is the right time to just acknowledge before God where we have failed and to confess our sins or to ask God for help. But I invite you to spend some time in silence and in prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a minute's time or so. Please join with me in silent prayer.